Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. We're your hosts, Tim and Ruth Olson, licensed marriage and family therapists and trauma experts. We provide wisdom for personal growth and healthy relationships. Stick with us and you'll gain practical tools and insights that will help you be a healthier and happier you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the four horsemen of the apocalypse of relationships. Now, this is an important thing to be aware of because a psychological researcher named John Gottman is able to, within five minutes, be able to determine with a 93% accuracy if your relationship is going to make it or not, based on if he sees some of these categories operating in your relationship. The four horsemen are criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling. It's not necessarily what we fight about that's important. What is important and what can dismantle the relationship is how we fight. So criticism attacks the character of the person rather than focusing on their behavior. Things like you're so selfish attacks the character and who that person is rather than saying what it is that you're bothered by. Maybe I wish you would take out the trash more or I wish when you got yourself some dessert you would think of me as well. That would be more focusing on the behavior rather than focusing on cutting down their character. Another example that you might be slipping into criticism if you're tending to use absolute statements like alwayses and nevers. And you want to be careful about doing that because actually when you're using those type of statements, you're actually diluting your argument. Because if you say, well, you never take out the trash, what your partner is going to be inevitably thinking is, well, wait a minute, I took out the trash three weeks ago on Thursday. So you can't say never as opposed to focusing on what you want them to focus on, which is they're not taking out the trash as frequently as you would like them to, or as consistently as you would like them to. Now, don't get me wrong, I understand why people use absolutes, because they're trying to express their level of frustration. But when they're doing that, they're actually making it more difficult for their partner to receive the information that they're trying to tell them. And again, being critical is not just telling them that they did something wrong, but it's the manner in which you're telling them you're wrong. So just like Ruth was saying, constructive criticism would be talking about a behavior that they're not doing well, but then the criticism that is talking about in the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse is a criticism of them as who they are. So a quick example of an unhealthy level of criticism would be, let's say your spouse comes home late from work or from spending time with friends, and you say something along the lines of, you're so inconsiderate, you always come home late, right? So that would be an unhealthy way to voice that concern. Versus saying something more along the lines of, I feel lonely when you come home late, right? That's a more healthy way to describe because you're not attacking the person, but you're giving them an inside line more to what's going on within you. And you're using I statements to describe it as opposed to you statements. Most of the time, if you're using a you statement, you're going to be in an attacking stance versus when you use I statements, not all the time, but most of the time, if you're using I statements, you're more letting your partner have an inside line and understanding as to what's happening with you. So there's nothing wrong with voicing concerns in a relationship. But like Tim said, one of the alternatives to criticism is making sure that you're using I statements because it takes away the tendency to blame the other person and then criticize and cut down their character to their core. Criticism is the first horseman, and it paves the way for the other deadlier horsemen to follow. Because what happens is it makes the person feel rejected, hurt, assaulted, attacked, frustrated, and it causes them to get into a pattern or a cycle where this first horseman, criticism, begins to appear more and more often and with increasing intensity. 
So now the character assassination is just getting worse and worse and cutting deeper and deeper. Now, I also want to jump back just for a second. If you're hearing this and you're like, oh, no, oh, no, I already have that criticism. That means there's a 90% chance we're going to get a divorce. That's absolutely not what this is saying. It's saying if these things are left unchecked, then you're much more likely to get a divorce. So going in and working on and trying to shift these dynamics is one of the main points of this podcast so that you hear it and you're aware and you're like, oh, if I notice I'm doing this or if I notice my spouse is doing this, we really need to get in there and work on these things to really shift the direction of these. Now, there are different severities of these horsemen. And at the end, we'll talk about the most severe one. And so the first one, the lighter one, tends to be criticism. And then the next subsequent ones tend to be more harsh all the way up till the last one, which is the most critical. The second horseman is defensiveness. And this is typically a response to criticism. And in that example of you never take out the trash, I use that example all the time with clients because what it does is it totally shuts down communication. If I say you never take out the trash, he stops listening and really in his mind, he gets defensive and he's immediately, like he said, thinking when was the last time I took it out? When was the last time? So he's trying to defend himself against the attack and the criticism that he just was experiencing. So it cuts down this communication line where it's the ability to hear their heart behind it and to hear, oh, she's needing more help around here. Defensiveness will immediately protect yourself and say, no, I help out. No, I take out the trash and I do this because you're trying to protect yourself. Because when we feel unjustly accused, we defend ourselves, and then we tend to play the innocent victim so that our partner will back off. But unfortunately, that innocent victim rarely works because when we make excuses or we put the blame on them, we're just communicating to our partner that we're not taking them seriously and that we're not going to take responsibility for what we've done or for our mistakes. So for example, if your spouse said, hey, did you get to clean the pantry out like you promised this morning? And instead of acknowledging that you promised to do that and they're just asking and keeping you accountable to that, you immediately get defensive and you just say, I was so busy today. I was taking care of the kids and I did this and you knew how busy I was. Why didn't you just do it? So they're not only responding defensively, but now they're blaming the other person and not taking any responsibility, especially if it's something that they said that they would do. So in the same situation, say Tim asked me, hey, did you clean out the pantry like you promised you would? I could easily say, gosh, I'm so sorry, I forgot, or I was so busy today. That was my fault. I'll make sure that I work on it tonight. So it's accepting responsibility. It's apologizing for not doing what you said you would do. And it's not throwing it back in their face when they're asking you about something that you said you would do. And I think with defensiveness, it's a difficult one to curve because it's a reaction to something your partner had said. So a lot of times what happens is those emotions sneak in real quick and you're not really analyzing what they're saying. You just felt a negative reaction and then you're following what that negative reaction, that negative emotion tells you to do, which is to be defensive and not stop and just listen to what your partner has to say. Because a lot of times our partner may say something to us and it may hurt our feelings but it also may be 100% true. And also the way they said it, there may not be anything wrong with how they said it, but you still had an emotional reaction to it. So it's a difficult one because it's one that really comes from more of that knee-jerk type of reaction. So when you're feeling defensive, you do want to take the step back and say, okay, wait a minute. Is it how my partner said it? Or is it just that what they're saying just hurts me? 
Because sometimes when a partner says something that's true, it'll just hurt no matter how they say it. I think a lot of times when people are talking through things, they have the tendency to want to drop in something that the other person had done wrong. And this goes back to the love podcast that we talked about, the communication tool, where you really only want to talk about one problem at a time. If them bringing up this critique of something you had done causes you to think of something that they haven't done, you want to make sure you leave that off till later and you just fully listen to what they have to say. You correct that problem and then you say, hey, when we were talking, it made me think of this. Can we talk about this problem now? So if we were to sum this up, the healthy alternative to defensiveness would be to take the time to hear out your partner, take responsibility when it's appropriate, and then a simple genuine apology to your partner can help go a long way towards resolving that situation. But if you sprinkle in that defensiveness, you're adding fuel to the fire and you're going to make the situation more difficult. Stonewalling is the next horseman of the apocalypse, and basically what this is, is you're shutting down and you're closing yourself off from your partner. So if you're in the middle of a discussion or a heated discussion, basically what this looks like is all of a sudden one of the partners just stops talking, they may shut down and just walk out of the room, something along those lines. So if you just think about it, it's basically there's a stone wall now between you and your partner. And even though you could possibly keep talking about it, one partner has just chosen not to, but they're not even communicating that to the other person saying, hey, you know what? I don't want to talk right now. Can we take a break? They just shut down and they kind of recede into themselves. And then the conversation just kind of has a dead stop. And the other person's left kind of hanging, not knowing what's going on or why that conversation just ended. So stonewalling can be especially destructive to relationships because it can make your partner feel abandoned and rejected. And then they just feel alone and they kind of give up because there's not really any connection or anything they can do to really talk through this problem or situation because the other person is just a wall. So stonewalling isn't easy to stop. A lot of times it's because we feel physiologically flooded or if you remember from the last episode where we feel where our lids have already flipped and we are now in our amygdala. And so when we stonewall, We might not even be in a state where we can even discuss things rationally. And that's where the alternative comes in. So the alternative to stonewalling is to stop and take a break and allow yourself to get back to that state where you've calmed down and you can rationally talk about things. And in that 5, 10, 20 minutes, you want to make sure that you're doing something to calm yourself down. You're not just allowing your mind to spin and spin but you're reading a book, you're going for a walk or a run, you're breathing. You're really just doing anything to help stop from feeling overwhelmed and flooded by all these emotions. And like we talked about in the pause, that you need to communicate to your partner to let them know that you need a break, but you plan on returning to this conversation. Ideally, this would be something that you talk to them about beforehand and you set up beforehand where you say, hey, if things get a little bit heated, can we agree that we're going to take a pause? Not necessarily just before you're going to talk about something difficult, but it's good just to have this set up as a new rule in your relationship if it's not already there. That, hey, if we're talking and it's getting hot, let's just take a pause. And this can just sound like, hey, I really need to take a short break or I need to take a pause to kind of gather myself before we continue. I'm a little too upset or I can see myself getting off track and so I need to calm down before we can work through this. And it doesn't need to be that long. But you want to say something that communicates to the other person that you are requesting and you're going to take a pause. I've even had couples set up hand signals because they feel like they can't even say something at that point. But if they give this hand signal to their partner, they know, okay, that's a pause. The next and most destructive horseman of the apocalypse is contempt. Now, contempt is 
like criticism on steroids. Basically what contempt looks like is disrespect, disgust, condescension, or ridicule of your partner. You may be doing name calling, you're probably rolling your eyes. It's a very uncomfortable conflict to watch if you're on the outside watching it. You would normally just cringe when you watch people really issuing out contempt towards each other. So when we're in contempt, we are in the state where we're just being really mean. And we're treating others with disrespect, we're mocking them. Like Tim said, all the different ways we can display this. But one of the ways, too, is using sarcasm. And a lot of people will say, well, that's just who I am. I have this sarcastic humor. But you have to really recognize, and I think we'll talk about this in another podcast, the effects of sarcasm can be so devastating and it can allow people to feel so worthless and not safe with their partners. And I think the majority of the time when sarcasm is in the equation, everybody else is having fun with the sarcasm except for the person who it's pointed at. And I've even worked with people and families where they are all sarcastic and I've talked to them. I've warned them, say, hey, it's not such a great idea. Like, oh, that's just us. We'll be fine. And then like six months later, then they come to this conclusion. Actually, yeah, it causes major problem. Maybe sarcasm really isn't worth it. Maybe the benefit we think we're getting out of being this sarcastic family is really outweighed by how much damage we are doing to each other. So contempt is often fueled by just these negative thoughts that you've allowed yourself to develop and play over and over and over in your head. And then the person acts out and kind of blows up and attacks that person. And I think another part of this is when you get to this point where you are contemptuous of your partner, you have essentially assassinated their character, if not directly vocally to them or to others, at the very least in your own mind, you have viewed them essentially as this wholly bad person. Contempt goes far beyond criticism. And it doesn't just, like you said, attack that person's character. It assumes a position of this moral superiority over them. So what this could sound like is if the husband comes in from a long day of work and he's tired and the wife says, you're tired? I'm tired. I've been with the kids all day. I've been running around trying to make this house nice. And you just come home from work and you just sit on the couch and you just play these video games. and You don't even help with the kids. You're just like another kid to me. Could you be any more of a loser? So it's not just attacking his character, but you have this idea of I'm right and I have the ability to be tired and cut down who he is at his core. But it's okay for me to express this, but if you even try to mention it, I'm going to blast you with all of this. And this is a scary place to be in a relationship because now you've created this culture that is so hostile and your home really should be a safe haven for you, a place where you want to come home to. You probably just feel in that scenario the tension that's happening there day in and day out. So you can see with all of that why contempt is the main predictor of a relationship failure and why it needs to be stopped immediately. Absolutely. This is a very damaging horseman. And I think the solution to this comes from the opposite of what the cause of it is. If the cause of it is a deep disdain and thinking that your partner is a wholly bad person, then the opposite is the solution, which is working at finding and identifying positive traits about your partner. And then not only just thinking about them, but trying to voice them, trying to voice them to yourself, to your partner, and even to other people. 
Because a lot of times when people have contempt, they're not just keeping it in themselves. They're pretty much sharing it with everybody that they can talk to. And I see this all the time where people are talking about their spouses and they're kind of demeaning or talking about how they have this shortfall or that shortfall, or just like Ruth said, oh, it's uh, my third kid that I've got, right? All these different ways that you can talk about them where you are putting them in this lower position, you need to shift all of that energy towards thinking about and talking about them in a positive way. And this goes along with another podcast where we talked about just kind of the research about our mindset and how that really affects the direction that we're going. Same thing. The way you're talking about your spouse is absolutely going to affect how you think about your spouse. If you talk about them in more glowing terms, you're going to start thinking and feeling more glowingly. Now, this isn't obviously a magic bullet. There's a lot of additional work because there probably is things that your spouse is doing that's causing you to move towards contempt. And those behaviors have to change as well. But one of the things that's really difficult about being in that contempt spot is a lot of people who are there they think, well, why should I have to do anything? Because basically they don't see any value in their spouse. So then they have very low and little motivation towards trying to change or trying to view them in a different way. Essentially, they already have one foot out of the door. So if you realize that you're in contempt, but you don't want to be leaving the relationship, this is the time to really try to buckle down and start pushing the relationship in a new direction. As a matter of fact, I would say if you're in contempt, I would say therapy is almost a mandatory. You would have to go to really start shifting the direction. Yeah, just adding on to that, you really want to treat each other with respect and have a culture of appreciation in your family, not just for your partner, but with your kids as well. So it's important not to badmouth your spouse to your children, but to do the exact opposite and lift them up and talk about their dad in a way that is encouraging and uplifting and praises his positive attributes. So our goal isn't to have no fights at all, but our goal is to fight well and to fight in a healthy way because conflicts play a major role in relationships. And so if you can learn how to work through them faster and in a healthier way, your relationship will be off to a much better start than if you were to get stuck in the rut of all of these different horsemen. And so as we've talked about them today, hopefully you can identify the ones that are really plaguing your relationship. And not just stop them, but to replace with those healthy, productive patterns. And I know I said this before, but I really want to reiterate this. If you're finding that you're exhibiting or your spouse is exhibiting any of these horsemen of the apocalypse, these are just warning signs. They don't mean the end. They're warning of the end. If treatment, if changes, if differences aren't made in the relationship. So make sure that when you're listening to this, that you don't take it as doom and gloom, but you take these as warning signs. The check engine light has come on in the relationship and something needs to be done to correct it because things absolutely 100% can be done to correct it. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you in the next one. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it helpful, we'd love for you to take some time and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. If you have a question or a topic you'd like discussed in future episodes, visit our Facebook group, Mr. and Mrs. Therapy Podcast, and let us know. Disclaimer, although we are mental health providers, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment. Please seek professional help if you're struggling with persistent mental health issues, chronic marital issues, or call the National Suicide Hotline at 988 if you are contemplating suicide.